Well, this morning we are in between teaching series, having finished the promised land, the book of Joshua. And next week we will start a series that I've been calling My Anchor Holds. If that title sounds familiar, we just sang it. It comes from two songs, Christ the Solid Rock I Stand and Cornerstone, which contains verses from Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Both of them contain a line that says, My anchor holds within the veil. If you didn't know, that's a strong reference. In fact, it's a quote of Hebrews 6, 19-20. A verse that I intend to challenge all of us to memorize this summer. All of us. And in fact, sometime early in the week you'll get an email where I will be asking for volunteers who'd be willing to memorize said quote, the verses, and repeat them in a service. Uh, In fact, I intend this summer to start every sermon with somebody else reciting those two verses. Um, So that you'll get that email, just looking for folks who could memorize that this summer, because we're going to use those verses of Christ being our anchor, along with 13 different psalms, to see Christ as the means of our life, as the anchor of our life, in hopes to give us some tools to endure and to walk through hardship. That'll be our goal this summer, but we'll start that next week. Wanted to forecast that for you a little bit so you'd see it coming, and then also you'd see an email coming from me early in the week. This morning, I should tell you, I should confess, is one of my favorite mornings. From time to time, I like to take on an issue of biblical theology, which is to say that we're going to take a topic and run through the entirety of Scripture to say, what does Scripture say about this? And this morning, the title and the theme of our message will be the sufficiency of the Word of God. I've already preached on the authority of the Word of God. I preached on the inspiration of the Word of the God. And so this morning, we're going to dig into the sufficiency of the Word of God. And this is what I mean when I say that. In God's Word, the Bible, He has revealed Himself to us, giving us everything we need to know to know Him, to understand salvation, that he's given us everything we need to know to follow him and everything we need to flourish in this life. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So church, how do we find this life abundantly, this life to the full, as the NIV puts it? Well, certainly we find it in Jesus Christ. But how do we know Jesus Christ? And I mean, how do we really, really know Jesus Christ? And the answer is, we read and study and obey this book in increasing fashion. Friends, this morning we're taking on the sufficiency of the Word of God for two main reasons. First, I desire to make it plain and obvious by word, something that I hope I've made plain and obvious by practice. And that is this, that it is my job here in the pulpit, as it would be anyone else who stands here, to first and foremost feed you the word of God. That is and should always be the main focus of preaching in this church and in every other church. You don't need my thoughts. You don't need my opinions. You need to be Given the Bible in its verses, you don't need a verse in 30 minutes of my opinions. 
No, you need the Word of God, the Bible, prophetically spoken to you in such a way that you will be washed in the Gospel, you'll be convicted of sin, you'll be called up to His holiness, and you'll be reassured of His grace. Now, I put all of that before you because you need to know if that is our aim, then entertaining you is not it. We're buying into a method and a model of church where people expect to be entertained from time to time. To be fair with you, I've not heard that complaint in this church, but I want you to know that that is not our mission and we're not chasing it. Neither will it be our mission or our aim to make you feel better about yourself. Sadly, there are churches abounding with those aims, but that is not our hope. That is not what we will hold to. We will preach the sufficiency of God's Word. For the record, that's why we teach through books of the Bible. And that's why two weeks ago, when we had a long passage in the book of Joshua, we took an extraordinary amount of time reading through the text. Because it's the Word of God that feeds our souls. It's the Word of God that matters. And it's the Word of God from the Old Testament through the New Testament, according to Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, which says this, For the Word of God is living and active. That's a serious statement. The Word of God is alive, and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now we love the first part of that. The Word of God is a living and active, but don't miss what it does to you. Because it cuts you deeply, and it's supposed to. Piercing the divisions of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It discerns your thoughts and the intentions of your heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we we must give an account. Friends, we are exposed by the word of God. It pierces us. And can I just say, that is a gloriously beautiful thing. For it tells us who we are in view of who he is. And it starts to paint the picture because when you start to understand the fullness of who you are in his eyes, that you indeed fall short because of your sin, and yet he still redeems you. He still goes to the cross for you. Has a beautiful picture of love that surpasses anything I could do to make you feel better about yourself. Than to understand the fullness of your depravity and the even greater enormity of his love that would absolutely overwhelm your depravity and how far you might fall short. Friends, the word of God is sufficient and it accomplishes what he has planned for it. Isaiah 55 tells us, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth. Praise the Lord, that's happening today. Making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah says, just like the rain comes down and builds up crops and allows all of us to eat, God sends us his word and it accomplishes his 
purposes. It'll do what He wants it to do. That's why we preach the Word of God. Because we believe, this church believes, that it is the Word of God that will transform lives. It's the Word of God that will bring us closer to Jesus Christ. And the second reason, the second reason that we will talk about the sufficiency of His Word is because I watch and hear from too many professing believers of Jesus Christ who speak of many aspects of their Christian life, many practices of their Christian life, and never mention regularly reading or studying their Bibles. Friends, I would remind you that Jesus, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, when tempted by Satan, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was Jesus who said the scriptures sustain him. That's the word of God testifying about the word of God. That it was the word of God that was sufficient for Jesus' need. So my aim this morning is to call you into his word. Into the full sufficiency of his word. And by using his word then to proclaim the sufficiency of his word. That's my aim this morning. Wayne Grudem gives a technical and yet very understandable theological definition of the sufficiency of his word. This is what Dr. Grudem writes. The sufficiency of scripture means that scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that it is now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. That's a statement of biblical theology. Dr. Grooms studies the Bible, writes it out. This is a, a theology. If you study all the scriptures, this is what it's telling you of the sufficiency of scripture. That's the definition he puts before us. So what Dr. Grudem says here is at every point in history, including this one, Men had the word of God that was necessary for them to believe in him. Men had the word of God that was necessary for them to lead a life that would flourish spiritually. Men had the word of God so that they could trust him perfectly. They were given the word of God that we would obey him perfectly. Jude 3 reminds us of this. Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. You know me, this is one of my favorite verses, but listen to this last part. I I find it necessary appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, confirms is that the faith was delivered to the saints. It's past tense, meaning God has already given us everything we need. So we have his word that we might be saved. We have his word that we might contend. We have his word that we might trust him perfectly. We have his word that we might obey him perfectly. We have his word, and his word is sufficient. And so that ought to put before us 
that ought to challenge us with a question. What is your spiritual diet? What is your spiritual nourishment? How are you sustaining yourself? For if you come every Sunday and you listen to a message and this is your only spiritual nourishment, can I just suggest to you that you're seriously malnourished? For if you think that's sufficient, I would encourage you to eat lunch today and then wait till next week to eat lunch again. I recently spoke with a college student, this has me a little passionate by the way, who shared that he was going hard after God, seeking to know God. And I asked him, what do you mean by that? Like, Talk to me about this, flesh that out for me. And he responded by telling me that he'd started reading an extra devotion every day and he was trying to pray more. He was wanting to know God. And God gave us his word that we might know him. And yet that's not what he was going to. That's not what he was going after. Friends, we've been given God's sufficient word. Which is to say very directly, I'm not telling you we shouldn't read other books. I'm not telling you we shouldn't read devotional writings. I'm not telling you you shouldn't listen to Christian music. I'm telling you none of those things should be the staples of your faith diet. None of those things are intended to sustain you. You don't ask other people to preach you your food, do you? It would be much the same. May I be so bold as to tell you, if this is your place, as I told this college student, that you are malnourished and that your soul might be starving and that if you're struggling to find the sufficiency of Christ, it may well be that it's you're not leaning into the sufficiency of his word. And it might be, in fact, one of the root challenges to your trusting him, to you obeying him, to you living out the abundant life he has for you, is that you're not leaning into the sufficiency of his word. So I've been giving you Jesus, Isaiah, the author of the book of Hebrews and Jude. Well, let me give you Paul. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. Second Timothy three fourteen through 17. But as for you, writing to Timothy, continue in what you have heard and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, Paul does several things in this text, if you'll read it carefully. First, he exhorts Timothy to continue in what he has learned. Which is to say, he's not pointing him to something else. He's pointing him to the sufficiency of the scriptures. Continue in what you've learned and what you've firmly believed. Keep holding on to it. And verse 15, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the scriptures and how the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. That is a statement of the sufficiency of the word of God. And he keeps going. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's a statement of inspiration. It's a statement of authority. 
But you've got to see immediately how sufficiency runs out of that. That if all scriptures breathed out by God, if God, the one who created the stars and created the universe and created giraffes and platypi, make, gives us his word that we might know him, if he takes the time to give us his inspired word, he's got a plan for it. It's going to do what it accomplishes. Sufficiency flows out of that. And he says, and it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Believer in Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question. How might you be complete based on this passage? How might you be equipped for every good work? The answer lies in this passage. Be in the word of God. For it's God's word that will teach you. It's God's word that will rebuke you. That's what reproof means. It means it's going to tell you you're wrong. It's God's word that will correct you. Which is to say you don't know you're wrong and you need to be set back on the right path. It's God's word that will train you for righteousness. It's God's word that is entirely sufficient to do all of these things in a way that nothing else that has ever been created can or will. We've been given an incredible tool that we might be complete and equipped for every... I like to define these words. Every means every, right? Like every. It means this week, when you're walking into any and every situation, you go, oh, how am I going to be equipped for this? Be in God's Word. You want to go to the grocery store, want to know how to engage somebody in the grocery store, be in God's Word. You want to know how to talk to somebody in the gym, be in God's Word. Every. You want to know how to suffer well, be in God's Word. And finally, the longest chapter in the Bible, because, hey, it's Memorial Day weekend, we don't have connection now. I can go for 176 verses if I want. Psalm 119, written in 176 verses. It's a psalm written in an alphabetic acrostic arrangement based on the Hebrew alphabet, which is to say that there are 22 paragraphs, and each paragraph starts with the first with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first one, they all start with Aleph, all start with A's. The second one, all start with B's. It'd be a fun exercise for kids to do over their vacation. Every line begins with the same Letter, the entire psalm written by an unknown psalmist writes this. But he writes it completely about his love for the word of God. And he writes it completely about the sufficiency of the word of God. And he only had the law. How much more do you have? Listen to the first paragraph. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. 
Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. In this first paragraph, the psalmist connects being blessed, being blameless, and not be putting, not being put to shame. These are all things that you'd think we'd be after. He connects all three of those things to following the word of God, to striving to fix his eyes on the commandments. The word of God. The second paragraph is like it. And again, I'd remind you, I'm not going fat past the second paragraph. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's quite a statement. That's quite an extraordinary statement in our culture. God's word seems to be sufficient for a call to purity. And if there were a challenge in our culture, I think we could all kind of get our minds around the fact that young men and purity is a pretty difficult challenge in our culture. And God's word seems to be sufficient to that. At least God's word testifies that direction. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How do you stay pure? You guard your way with his word. Why? Because it's completely sufficient to the task. Far more than anything else we've come up with. Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What does seeking him look like? See, this is the response I had for this college student that I spoke on the phone with earlier in the week. What does seeking him look like? Because if it's just sitting and meditating on what you already know, you're not meditating on him. You're meditating on your picture of him. So why not go to the better thing? Why not actually see what he looks like according to his word? Why not actually understand his character? Why not actually give him a voice? Rather than just conjuring up something you think he's telling you. I tell you, working with college students for a long time prepares you to do ministry in a unique way. Because you get all kinds of people telling you, well, well, God clearly told me this. Well, how could God clearly say that to you? It's so contrary to his word. Why would God declare something to you that you've got no basis to stand on when it's contrary to his word and he doesn't lie? We've been given the sufficient word of God. You want to seek him? You want to know him? Dig in his word. And don't wander from it. I've stored up your word in my heart, verse 11 that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all of the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. 
I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your word. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Friends, this morning I'm putting before you the sufficiency of God's word. Now, I'm not trying to tell you if you don't read God's Bible, you're not in his word, you're not a believer. I'm just trying to tell you you might be a starving believer. Because God has provided to you spiritual meat and spiritual nourishment and a plan that we might know him through his word. That's a theology of the sufficiency of his word, that we'd be built up by it. I have zero desire to make a single soul in this room feel guilty. I firmly believe it's Satan that operates in guilt. So if you feel that way right now, cast him out. But I do believe some of us, us, that's a plural, including me, need to be rebuked. Some of us need to stop taking it for granted. Some of us need to lean into it more than we do. Some of us, I'm preaching at me, need to lean into the sufficiency of his word. And whether that's increasing from five minutes to ten minutes or ten minutes to twelve minutes, we all have room to grow here, do we not? Thank you. Made me feel not alone. And some of us need to be corrected. Which is to say, you just need to say, hey, guys, this is a really good idea. You haven't tried it? Go for it. I can make some really good suggestions to you. If you sit down at the beginning of the year and go, hey, I'm going to read through Genesis. Like, don't be surprised when you fall apart in Leviticus. It happens to everybody. There are really good Bible reading plans out there that can help you get into his word. That can help you find the sufficiency of his word. If that's a question you've got, man, I would love to answer that question. I would be giddy about that phone call. Friends, the psalmist in Psalm 119, read it in your free time this week, gives us every application we need to the sufficiency of his word. Verse 11. He says, I have stored up my word in, I've stored up your word in my heart. Application, read his word. Read it. Read a verse, read a paragraph, read a chapter, read a section. Don't go crazy and try to read like whole books, unless you have like third John. Read his word. Verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Declare his word, speak his word. Don't just make it something that you read and then forget. Think it through. Speak it out loud. Say it to people. You might bring it into conversations. Hey, I was reading this morning. This is what I read. What do you think of that? You could say that to edify another believer in Jesus Christ. You could say that to ask an unbeliever and just exhort them in what you've been learning. Speak his word. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. 
meditate on his word. The great practice I stole from some kid in college whose name I don't remember. I used to take a a note card, and when I would study a passage, I would write the verse that kind of struck me that morning out of that passage, and I would put it on a note card. And I loved the practice because then all day I'd be like, hey, what's this piece of paper in my pocket? Oh, yeah. And it allowed God's word that I'd studied that morning to stay on me all day. Even if you take the practice and go every stoplight, I'm just going to say it again. Every, every time I pause, I'm going to say it again. It allows us to meditate on his word. And then you get this verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Friends, if you start taking on the practice of reading and speaking and meditating on his word, it doesn't, it may come quick and it may not, but you will begin to delight in his word. You'll begin to love it. You'll begin to see the sufficiency of it. And there are seasons in my life where that is absolutely true. And there are seasons in my life when it's absolutely not. And I gotta fight for it. And I gotta struggle for it. And they're all true. But friends, this morning, I wanted to put before you the sufficiency of His Word. Because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for life abundantly in Him. He's giving us everything we need to know salvation and to know the riches and the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. And we'll know those things by keeping our nose in this book. By reading it. So as I conclude this morning, I want to exhort you to be people of His book to regularly reading and to make his book and to remind you that his book is intended to be all of our spiritual nourishment. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, thank you for your word that in it you teach us, in it you rebuke us, in it you correct us, in it you train us for righteousness. You do those things through your word. Father, you gave us a total picture of who you are. You gave us everything we needed. Deuteronomy 29 reminds us that the secrets of the Lord belong to you. We don't have everything, but you gave us enough. You gave us what you wanted us to have to know you and to follow you, to tell people about you. You gave us a sufficient word to carry us through our darkest moments. You gave us a sufficient word to carry us through our loneliest points. You gave us a sufficient word, Father, that we'd be good and gracious even on our moments of victory. Father, you've given us a sufficient word. May we lean into it more and more to believe in the total sufficiency of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.